Welcome to another episode of Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on all things National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm Jake Lisko, subbing for Brian Peacock with the inimitable Matt Williamson. Matt, how's it going today? Great, Jake. Man, it's good to talk to you. Um, Brian is on vacation, and then we come back with our podcast. You know, things are changing quickly around here. But you and I have a lot to get into. I'm looking forward to it, bud. Very excited for your new show with Brian today. And over the weekend, there was a snafu in New Jersey with a lot of teams' COVID tests that disrupted practice across the NFL. We'll get into that first. And the big news out of Baltimore that Earl Thomas is no longer a Baltimore Raven. After that, we take a look at second-year quarterbacks today where we'll see a leap for some, a slump for others. What are we expecting from five prominent quarterbacks expected to lead their teams in their sophomore seasons. But Matt, let's get started with the COVID test incident, if you can call it that, that disrupted practice across the National Football League. And beyond that, for me, raises questions as to what happens if this sort of thing happens during the regular season when teams are preparing for real games. Yeah, I mean, that's the scary thing to me is originally like I saw the headline and I thought, hey, I don't know how labs work. I, I don't like talking injuries and things like that anyway. I didn't go to med school. I don't know these things. But if it happened once, what if it happens week 10 or wild card round or something along those lines or there's some sort of human error or contamination where not only do we get positive tests, but they're the players that don't have any anything wrong with them. You know, I mean, that's like the worst case scenario to me. So, I, again, I don't know what goes on in these labs and whatnot, but I hope that extra precautions are taken now and maybe they found out how the error was made and maybe it's just a one in a million type of thing. I, I really don't know. I mean, I think we're all forced to just give these companies the uh, the benefit of the doubt that they'll be getting it right from now on. I mean, you know the NFL is not going to tolerate any less. Yeah, the NFL was doing its own investigation, and the update this morning from ESPN's Kevin Seifert was the testing partner that processed all these tests called it an isolated contamination during test preparation. And all 77 individuals that had positive tests have had their tests retested or have gone through their own point-of-care test. Those all came back negative. It included high-profile players, starting quarterbacks, Josh Allen. It included Cleveland Browns head coach, Kevin Stefanski. And those are the kinds of things that have to be scary for an NFL team. And the NFL will have to design protocols around. Because if there isn't a way for your starting quarterback or your head coach to get back out there quickly, and in this case it was pretty quick, it was only a day, things can quickly get off schedule. And like you said, if that happens in a wild card game, if that happens in a playoff game, the implications will just be so hard to process. It would be awful. It would be catastrophic. It would be horrible. It could cost people jobs. It could cost... Um, teams championships. I mean, it, it could teach, you know, playoff bursts could be at stake, things like that. And I know this, we, we kind of got off easy with this one, but even if Josh Allen, you know, mentioned his name, misses one day of practice that he shouldn't have, 
they don't have enough practice time and reps to go around to begin with. You know, I mean, they need every bit of those. So uh, even a small snafu like this is a big deal. I mean, it's a fine line and there's just not much room for error in terms of preparing for the season. Yeah, that's that's really the disheartening thing about it. Like you say, the, the practice time is so limited already. There's no preseason games. And yes, this happened during training camp. It's not the regular season yet. In that sense, it's nice that we get the chance to adapt if we're the NFL before the regular season comes around. But let's see what the adaptation is. There's been some talk about doing some pregame tests on Fridays, trying to use those instead of just waiting until closer to the game. I don't see how they get around daily testing when the league year actually starts. And I just hope that the NFL can come up with something to keep players safe, to keep players accurately tested because it's just going to be really unfortunate for a team to have to deal with false positives and losing, you know, their starting quarterback for a week of practice when maybe he's healthy the whole time. Shifting gears, Earl Thomas on the outs in Baltimore. And that is, it seems like a big deal, mostly for Earl Thomas. I think Baltimore actually, and I, I cover the Bengals on Locked On Bengals for my daily podcast. But I think this is actually only a moderate blow to Baltimore secondary where they're just very deep. Matt, I know you're, you've got the Pittsburgh background. What's your take on AFC North rival to both of our original teams in Baltimore losing Earl Thomas? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's a big deal. I mean, I think it's noteworthy that, two of the most respected teams in the league organizations in the league have moved on from this guy in very recent memory. And let's not forget him going off on a cart and giving a finger to Seattle. And, you know, some of those things that I I get the impression that he's been difficult to be around for a while now. And, uh, this incident, they wasted no time in moving on from a guy that they just recently traded for. Uh, I thought he played quite well for Baltimore last year. I mean, traditionally, he's been that Ed Reed, single high, true free safety type. And they put more on his plate. He did more things in Baltimore than he did in Seattle, where he was kind of a one-trick pony, but an exceptional pony doing that trick. Um, the, the, The key to him, though, especially as a single high guy, is Baltimore led the league in blitz percentage by a wide margin last year. And when you have a trusted free safety, that's much easier to do. You know, he's an eraser. I often use a hockey reference with him that if you have a really good goalie you trust and you're a defenseman, you might step up in the play a little more. You can be more aggressive. Those 10 guys in front of Earl can be more aggressive. And that probably won't be the case. So, I do think it is a ripple effect. I still think they have one of the best secondaries in the league. A lot of man coverage, great corner play. Clark, who he got in you know scuffle with that they gave money to, is a big-time blitzer and good near the line of scrimmage. But they don't have that single high dude that Thomas has provided for so long. Yeah, they'll have to find, I guess, a replacement from I think a lot of the responsibility is going to have to fall on the cornerbacks. You talk about yeah. how much Baltimore blitzes. And they don't really have the guy. They don't have the premier pass rusher that maybe you're used to back when they had Terrell Suggs. They relied on that blitz to get pressure and to throw quarterbacks off their game. And now instead of having Ed Reed back there, like you say, as a safety blanket in the middle of the field, now it's up to those corners to 
if they're going to keep playing a lot of man and doing man blitzes, well, now those corners have to lock their guys down or, or we might start seeing some vulnerabilities in that Baltimore defense that really came on. And I don't know how much people really paid attention to this, but they weren't good for the first few weeks of the season last year. Oh. They took some time to come together, brought in, you know, Josh Bynes, who's now with the Bengals. They brought in Marcus Peters for a fifth round pick. So what I'm waiting for, Matt, is for Baltimore to flip a fifth round pick for some really good safety somewhere to come in and replace Earl Thomas. Maybe. I mean, there's not a ton of free safeties out there. That That's kind of a, a skill set that under the radar isn't as easy to find as people yeah. think that you can trust that has range. Um, but we do know, to your point, you know, Baltimore, they're in it to win it. You know, they are an aggressive organization. They have an influx of young players that they can afford to probably trade a future pick for the right guy. And maybe it'll be a month from now. Maybe it'll be before this podcast even ends. But I bet they'll be in the market to add somebody. And lastly, to your point about, you know, not having premier pass rushers and not that Calais Campbell's a premier pass rusher at this point, but he does, you know, make it easier that maybe they can step back the blitz percentage a little bit and get home with four from an interior pass rush spot. That's a really good point. Calais Campbell is still a very good player and could absolutely provide a little bit of punch. They were lacking, I'd say, by comparison last year. So that is a very good point. Coming up next, we take a look at the second-year quarterbacks. And I'm really curious, Matt, about what you think is going to happen with these guys in their second year. And as I think your co-host Brian Peacock says, quarterback development, not a linear thing. We'll talk about that with some of these second-year guys coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Roman. Roman knows that talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about. With a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and it's totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The whole process, very straightforward, very simple, very discreet. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. And if medication is appropriate, they'll ship it to you for free with two-day shipping. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. GetRoman.com slash LockedOnNFL. The second year for NFL quarterbacks. It's such an interesting year, Matt. You see quarterbacks that were really good their rookie year occasionally take a a step back the way Baker Mayfield did a little bit in Cleveland, and other times they just break out, and that's when you see them really get started rolling. There are five primary quarterbacks expected to lead their teams in their second year in 2020. Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray, Drew Locke, and Gardner Minshew. And of all of those, if you like PFF grades, for example, Gardner Minshew had the top passing grade. So let's start there, down in Jacksonville. Gardner Minshew on a team that's rebuilding, probably looking for a quarterback. Does he have a chance to keep his job down in Jacksonville? It's funny because I thought 
I kind of agree with Pro Football Focus. I didn't realize they graded him the highest, that he probably had the best rookie season out of any of those. That doesn't mean I'd take him over Kyler Murray or anything like that. But in terms of what he put on the field, I thought was real. And and I kind of brushed it off as it was happening during the season last year. But I went back and watched him during the you know lockdown and thought, this guy's pretty darn good. I mean, he's a very good athlete. He's a vastly underrated runner and creator with his legs. He has the mentality you look for in a quarterback. He is not bashful. He plays a tough brand of football. And I think his his team will follow him. I think he's got the lowest ceiling of these guys, though, and that's why he was a late pick. And I think a conversation Brian and I had a couple weeks ago was how can he play well enough that they could turn down Lawrence or Fields or somebody like that if they end up with a top two or three pick and I pretty much said no I mean he may be a successful player and he may have a very good year and he may not be close to the reason that they have a bad season record wise but I can't imagine him ever playing so well that you would say ah we're gonna pass on Trevor Lawrence I also can't but you also wonder is is he gonna play to a because if he does play fairly well well then they're not even in the conversation for trevor lawrence most likely i know that there's a lot of things pointing toward a real rebuild effort happening in jacksonville this year with yannick and those trade rumors really heating up over the weekend he does at least have a decent crew of wide receivers to throw to they, they've got dj chark and marquise lee down there they, they signed tyler eifert this offseason and if he's healthy he can be a sneaky weapon in the passing game. I just can't quit Tyler Eifert, of course. And D.D. Westbrook, of course, not to mention him. That's quite a bit going on with the weapons, but does he have enough with that offensive line in front of him? That's where things, I think, start to get dicey. Yeah, and I'm actually really excited about LaVisca Chenault, too. I mean, maybe he's a specialty player. I don't think the weapons will be poor. I think D.J. Chark's a really good player. I'm not a Fournette fan. I think the the O-line's okay. I mean, I, I don't think anybody's going to envision this being a top half of the league offense. But I think they'll be better on offense than they will on defense. And for Jacksonville fans, that creates a real QB purgatory catch-22. Worth noting there that I mentioned Marquise Lee still with Jacksonville. He actually went on to New England. So LaVisca Chenault comes in and hopefully gets some of those opportunities that Marquise Lee did last year. Next guy that we could talk about, Dwayne Haskins. Great highlight of a deep pass to Terry McLaurin in the corner of the end zone today, circulating on Twitter, today being Monday. What do you think of Dwayne Haskins? I think a lot of people are prematurely writing Dwayne Haskins off outside of the Washington circle, and I think that he still has a chance to be a pretty good player. He showed development over the course of the year. There might be some parts of his game that take some time, and as a one-year starter, is he going to continue to be one of those guys that bucks that long-standing NFL trend of looking for more than one year of college productivity? Yeah, I mentioned how good Minshew is with his feet and creating plays and as a runner. And Haskins has none of that. And that worries me in today's NFL, where I almost think that's a prerequisite at the position. That being said, I'm with you, though, that writing this guy off at this point is crazy or, boy, Washington's going to be in the quarterback market. I don't think that at all. I think he needs stuff around him and doesn't really have it, but he throws the ball very well. I was very impressed with him coming out of Ohio State, 
And the thing that people didn't realize, because they weren't paying attention to this team late in the year, he got a lot better in that last three, four games of the year, where I thought he started to turn a corner. He really did. And, and I mentioned that there was continued progression from Haskins as the year went on. For Washington, the question is, can he continue it in year two? And I think just like Jacksonville, if Washington is in a position to draft a Trevor Lawrence or, or Justin Fields, are they going to be content enough with Dwayne Haskins to pass up on that opportunity? And again, my inclination would be to say, no, you take one of those two guys, especially if it's Lawrence. Probably. I mean, that's really looking ahead. And I do think it's a conversation worth having, though. I mean, if you were torn between uh, a top quarterback or this stud offensive tackle from Oregon that everyone's talking about, which direction would you go? I mean, would you ignore it again after ignoring it with Chase Young this past year for a premier prospect? Maybe, but I would bet that you probably go the quarterback direction in the scenario you laid out and trade Haskins for a third-round pick or something like that, and maybe Haskins goes to another team and tears it up. I could absolutely see that. It's kind of the scenario with a few of these guys that we're talking about today, mostly these two, I think. If if their teams are in a position where they can draft one of these blue-chip quarterbacks again, that means either there's been an injury and knock on wood that it doesn't happen or the quarterback has not played well because if a quarterback is playing, you know, even average football for these teams, they shouldn't be picking in the top two. And Matt, let's let's save the most exciting quarterback here to, to finish the show with and Kyler Murray and, and, and Drew Locke out there too. But let's touch on Daniel Jones up in New York. My former podcast co-host and I, Joe Goodbear, we were live streaming the draft last year. It went when Daniel Jones was picked and watching for the Bengals who picked later on early in the part of that draft for thinking, Oh, if somebody picks Daniel Jones, that's great for, for the Bengals. And when, when the giants actually did it, we, we actually started laughing. We, we couldn't, <laughs> con- we couldn't contain ourselves. So is there, <laughs> is there, is there something there that's going to prove Joe and I wrong with Daniel Jones or am I just pissing off the city of New York here listening to this episode? I, I wouldn't have made the pick. I kind of chuckled to myself when it happened, too. I understand that he's smart. He looks the part. He's a good athlete. He has a good arm. He has tools. And not a bad supporting cast, certainly in terms of the weapons around him. And Saquon Barkley, obviously. But he has some things that really bothered me that bothered me back in college, too, is He'll spray the ball at times. He's not super accurate. His timing and anticipation aren't great. But the thing that worries me most about him is his pocket presence, is that he holds the ball and holds the ball and doesn't feel the rush and puts the ball in harm's way as a result. And those things usually don't get drastically better. Yeah, one of the higher sack percentages on pressures in the NFL last year for Daniel Jones, he took 40 sacks. He, he took eight sacks against Arizona in week seven, and that was part of a stretch where he went eight, three, five, six in sacks taken in a, in a four-week stretch. And obviously that's not all on Daniel Jones, but I think that there's increasing evidence that says that sacks in a lot of ways can be a quarterback stat, that it's not yeah. just the offensive line. He did have some nice games sprinkled in there, though, and Playing against Washington last year will always make you look good, and you just have to wonder how much can he improve. 
He's 23 years old, so he still has time. He's right in that age window where quarterbacks can still take a leap. And I think that more than some of the other guys on this list, maybe maybe Gardner Minshew, this is, for me, a, a make-or-break year for Daniel Jones. And, and maybe it's not for the Giants, but if I were in charge up there, it would be. I hear what you're saying, and I don't think the Giants view it that way. I think they saw enough in his rookie year that it would take an awful lot for him for them to go away from him a year from now, but um, certainly could happen. I mean, I'm not saying that at all. And they have a tough schedule, especially early in the year. I, I'm not a big believer. Well, for Giants fans' sakes, let's hope that Daniel Jones can prove us all wrong because I'm always rooting for the player, right? And and some players that are easy to root for that I well one of the one of whom I really liked last year, Kyler Murray and Drew Locke. Let's touch on their futures coming up next. All right, Matt, let's get into the last couple second-year quarterbacks that I think are going to have big roles to play this year. And I'm not talking about Ryan Finley for any Bengals fans that follow me to listen to the show today (laughs) because I hope I don't have to watch him play football again. But Kyler Murray is a guy that last year, again, that the Locked On NFL Network did our mock draft with the host of the show making all the picks. And for whatever reason, Kyler Murray in that exercise didn't go number one. He slips a few picks. And we from the Locked On Bengals podcast traded up and went to get Kyler Murray. And so that speaks to, to my opinion of him. And he had an up and down rookie year. We talked about Daniel Jones taking a lot of sacks. Kyler Murray took 47. But obviously he has the athleticism. Obviously he has the arm talent. And now they've surrounded him with honestly an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. This year should be good for him, right? I think so. I I have extremely high hopes for him. I I think he's going to be one of the better quarterbacks in the league before long. I think people need to realize that the 2018 Cardinals offense, the one that he was, you know, was was drafted into was historically bad. I mean, so the, the progress they made was massive. I think that people are getting a little too excited about Kyler though, in terms of, People look at him and say, well, Lamar's second year he won the MVP. Mahomes' second year he won the MVP. And people forget this, but Wentz probably would have in his second year if he hadn't got hurt at the end. And Kyler's next then, right? I'm like, well, that's not normal. (laughs) You know, I mean, let's not – MVP conversations and things like that are a little crazy for me for a guy that 15 months or so ago – hadn't even given up baseball yet. I mean, he was the first round pick of the A's. I mean, so he hasn't been doing this full time very long and he has immense ability. He's a great thrower of the football. His athleticism is very obvious, but he's not, he's still a see it and throw it guy. You know, he doesn't recognize things super quick or anticipate real, real well yet. And we'll see if that comes. But I mean, you mentioned that his receivers now are, really promising and I have high hopes for him I think he'll be quite good but let's not go calling him an MVP yet or anything I didn't know that that was even a thing that that there were people suggesting that all right good to know because you got to remember those guys those Patrick Mahomes they're still in the league so so now you think (laughs) Kyler's suddenly going to be better than them just because it happens to be his second year I have a really hard time with that. And and what about the what about the sack issue? Do you see that being an ongoing thing for him? Is he just going to keep taking sacks or is is that an offensive line thing or you you mentioned the processing is that more on Kyler and something that he has to develop? All the above. I mean, it's a poor line. 
and it didn't get drastically better. But you mentioned it earlier, quarterback sacks or sacks are a quarterback stat as, as at least as much as the offensive line. And he needs to get it out quicker. I mean, early see early career, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, run around, hold the ball, try to make plays. I mean, that results in sacks. Absolutely. And and the last guy then to talk about is Drew Locke, who took over late last year in Denver and had mixed success, I would say, but showed them certainly enough to think that he can be their guy. He's throwing to, again, a very developed, a highly invested in set of weapons. They, they sink tons of resources into that position this offseason. They already have Cortland Sutton there. They spent a high pick last year on Fant. Arrow should be pointing up for Locke, but it was a pretty small sample size for him last year. Yeah, and obviously, as you mentioned, they are all in on this guy and have extreme confidence in him. And instead of competition, they just added more weapons and more weapons and things around him and all kinds of shiny toys. And that's great. I mean, uh, I, I'm all ears on that. And there's certainly ability here. But I have some trepidation in that his rookie year reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield's. You know, Baker came in at like week eight or nine. And with no expectations against a really poor slate of past defenses, lit the world on fire and threw a lot of touchdowns. But it's different. And Locke did a similar thing in his, what, five games as a starter. The past defenses he played were very suspect. He never threw for more than like 220 yards in a game. There were no expectations. And that's all fine. It's just a small sample size. By no means am I saying, oh, they found their guy. You know, I mean, I need to see a lot more than five okay games when not much was on the line for me to say, boy, Denver has their quarterback now. Yeah, I think that this will be a very telling year for him because they've put so much around him. And and to some extent, they've really invested in that offensive line as well. That offense should hypothetically have all of its pieces, and it just depends as to whether or not Drew Locke is going to be the quarterback to to drive those pieces. But I think that he's in a pretty good situation. And who would you say out of all five of these guys is in the best situation to have success in year two? Because they're all, they're they're question marks, I would say, around all of them to some degree. But I I really like Locke's setup in Denver, for example. And, And we talked about the wide receivers for Kyler. Yeah, in terms of situation... Coaching-wise, I'd say Arizona. Talent around them, I would say Denver. The Giants aren't terrible, though. I mean, they uh, use a first-round pick on a tackle. They got a lot of weapons. So I don't know it's a slam dunk, but I guess I would say Denver in terms of what's around them. They have a good defense, too. Yeah. I I think that it's going to be really interesting to watch all of these guys in year two to see how they progress, to see how some of these things we're talking about in terms of supporting cast, in terms of some of the strengths and weaknesses of the individual games develop. Because like I said at the top of the show, watching quarterbacks in year two is just one of the most interesting things that you can watch in terms of player development in the NFL. That's going to do it for this episode of Locked On NFL. Thanks for having me as a sub. Brian Peacock back next week on the Peacock and Williamson show. Tomorrow it'll be Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears joining Matt for another episode with another one of our hosts. Until then, have a good one.